Father, we thank you for this precious gift that we refer affectionately to as the Word of God. It is your words recorded for us. It is the great and faithful God writing down what we need to know. It is not short on anything. It is absolutely sufficient for everything in life and godliness. And it's centered around your son from beginning to end. He is the theme of the message. And Lord, while we are studying Mark, we are walking daily with him through life. And that's really what we do even to this day. We have a Savior who walks with us. And so Lord, we pray as we look into your word that we would be encouraged this morning. We'd be strengthened by a, by a Savior, a great shepherd of our soul who sees all, knows all, suffers, and takes us through those things, Lord. Please grip our hearts this morning. Encourage us, Lord, as we look into your word. We pray for those who are home now or uh, in care somewhere who are suffering, Lord who have gone through trials, and, and, and they, Lord, they may even be asking, Lord, I don't know why you have allowed this. I pray that this morning they would be drawn closer to you. They would be encouraged. We thank you for our missionaries scattered around the globe that preach this message. Preach the message of a great shepherd of our souls. Lord, we ask that even this morning here and around the world you would gather souls, you would gather lambs into your pen and you would secure them for eternity. And so we pray this for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I think everyone in this room could, that knows and claims the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior could give testimony to something God has done in your life. I pray that that would be true. Somewhere he just directed your life, redirected it in a way. And even at the time, you may not have understood what he was doing. But later you looked back and you said, wow, God was there. God took me through that time. God uh, directed my paths when I could not see which way to go. I, I trust that you have experienced that. Jesus is referred to the great shepherd of our souls. Isn't that term rich when you think about that? I know probably most of you have not maybe handled livestock, but the, the imagery is beautiful there, right? He, he's not just a shepherd. I, I'm a shepherd. I'm a pastor. We get the word from poimero, the Greek word to pastor, to shepherd. But he's the great shepherd. <laughs> and that, that term is so important because you understand he does what us men cannot do. He secures your soul for eternity. And it not only secures your soul. Now think about this. He keeps you and guards you. You belong to him. Listen to this verse. Hebrews chapter 13. As the writer is wrapping up that great letter. Verse 20 through 21. Now the God of peace. Who brought up from the dead. The great shepherd of the sheep. Wow, what terminology. The God of peace. One we're not at war with any longer. He himself brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, through the blood of the eternal covenant. His blood will never run out for your forgiveness. It's an eternal covenant that God has given us through his Son, even Jesus our Lord. Now listen to this. Equip you in every good thing. So do you think the, shepherd, the great shepherd is with you? The Bible says he'll equip us for every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Oh, that's the great shepherd of our soul. As we turn to our text, there are so many things that will remind us that he is ever watching you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Probably a better question is, do we believe it tomorrow morning? Sometimes it's easy to believe things here on Sunday morning. But can you believe it tomorrow morning that the great shepherd of your soul is watching over you? Every step you make. Every decision you make. He's there. He's directing your paths. And he has saved you. I love that term. He saved you. You will never perish. You will never see judgment of God upon you. 
Because his eternal covenant is sufficient. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And he's equipping you. It's one of the reasons you're here this morning. Oh God, equip me. Give me strength for this day. Give me strength to walk with you. My flesh is strong and I am weak at times. But you promised, great shepherd, that you would equip me. And this is what our Lord does, and I think that is highlighted in this text. So let me point out five thoughts as we go through this text together. Number one, the great shepherd always knows what's best for us. The great shepherd always knows what's best for us. Look at the first verse here. It's an interesting verse. It's coming off of this great feeding of these 5,000 men, right? So there's probably 20K plus there. Um, and, and here he comes in right after this. Mark records this. Immediately, Jesus, now look at this verb here, made his disciple get in the boat and go. Isn't that interesting? Immediately, this great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, makes his disciples get into the boat and leave. Well, none of the counts in the recording of this give an explanation why. But I think the key is in John 6, 19. You have to remember back a couple of weeks um, ago when I was talking about this. John chapter 6, verse 19 says they were going to make him be king by force. They said, hey, if this guy can feed us, <laughs> if he can do this, He's got to be the Messiah. Let's make him king now. Let's have him crush Rome. We get free food, free health care. Let's make him king right now. See, Jesus knows this. And the crowd has every intention of making him king by force. And most likely even the 12, the 12 disciples, welcome that proposal. They're going, this is a good idea. I mean, and you even think about it, here, he, they, they were the night before his death were saying, can we sit on your left and your right? And we're in the middle of his ministry right now. So doubtless even the 12 were going, hey, this is not a bad idea. But listen, Jesus knew the Father's plan. There was no crown before the cross. Do you understand that? If there's a crown before the cross, we're in trouble. We're in huge trouble. And so Jesus knew the Father's plan, and he acted decisively to remove the disciples lest they get caught up in this plot. That's what I think is happening here. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I can sit on your left. I can sit on your right. We don't have to work. Free food, free health care. Everything is given. Jesus knew that the implications of this would be disastrous. The point is, our great shepherd removes us from situations that are not his will. And I think that's what he does with his disciples. He removes us. Look with me at a very, very practical and verse, uh, very common verse you know, Proverbs chapter 3. And in light of this, I want you to think about this verse. A great verse that the Spirit inspired through King Solomon. Um, you know this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Jesus wanted the disciples to trust him. So he makes them get in the boat and they leave. Now, that word's a strong word. They may not have willingly wanted to go on themselves, but you can't resist the, the creator, right? <laughs> he has power over the wind and waves. And so he makes them go. But notice this verse in, in application to this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, let's just stop right there for a moment. What's in your life right now where God is making you go through something and you don't want to trust him in it? I mean, it's a great thought, right? Uh, you know, Jesus, man, the crowd's great. Everything's going wonderful. I mean, there's king, king. They're shouting all those things. And we got to go? He knew what was best for them. And, and so often, brothers and sisters, we have to look at this and say, do I trust in the Lord with all my heart or just a part of it? Do you trust in the Lord? Such a good question. And see, the reverse is true in the rest of the verse. And do not lean on your own understanding. That's a problem, isn't it? Why should we not lean on our own understanding? Because it's corrupted, isn't it? 
It it has a fleshly motive to it. It has a self-centeredness to it at times, right? Can it be trusted? Do you trust yourself? I've learned not to trust myself outside of Christ. And I can look back in things in my life and go, ah, yeah, you didn't trust him there. You didn't trust him there. And each one of those don't turn out the way God intended it to be. Trust in the Lord. He's saying, get in the boat, go. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's not the plan of God. This is, this is good stuff, isn't it? Think about this. Some of you are going through some very difficult things and you're trying to realize, how's God in this? Trust me. Trust me, he's saying. The next verse says, in all your ways acknowledge him. Well, ways of cancer? Ways of a broken heart? Maybe you're not loved as you should deserve to be loved. Maybe you're going through some kind of trial or some kind of persecution that, that you don't think you deserve. In all your ways, are you acknowledging, acknowledging him? Man, it's hard to acknowledge him. Boy, it's, hard. it's easy to acknowledge him this morning. We're just saying some great songs, you know, reading great passage, learning from him. Well, tomorrow morning, can I acknowledge him? You wake up to next to somebody who doesn't love you the way they should. If you're going through a medical trial, Lord, I acknowledge you are in this. I know your will is for a, a, a marriage that reflects Christ and the church. I, I know your will is for me to suffer for the glory of the Lord. Will you give me strength? I acknowledge that you are in this. So easy just to go through life and not acknowledge him. Verse, end of verse 6, and he will make your path straight. Now, so t- often we find our, you know, let me back that up. The straightest, the straightest way to one point to another is what? A straight line. Our lives don't look like that, do they? kind of go like this. <laughs> and we spend a lot of time wandering, maybe, outside of the will of God. It's because we don't trust him. We don't acknowledge that he is in something. When we do, there's straighter lines. That's what he designs for us. You'll make your paths straight. But as we turn back to your text, I don't want you to miss the compassion that Jesus also has on these people. Yes, he puts his disciples into this boat and he tells them to go, go ahead of them to the other side of Bethsaida, the sea there, or the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And while, notice it's while he was sending the crowd away, And he's bidding them farewell. Don't miss his compassion. Clearly, this was a task that Jesus himself did not want to leave to anyone else. Now, now think about what's happening. The people were in this excited state. Um, There was particular care necessary here. They have just been fed. Uh, They've been watched and, and partook in a miraculous thing. A couple of fish and a few loaves turned into feeding thousands of people with leftovers. They are chanting, king, king, king. There's euphoria in the crowd. You think uh, Peter's going to go whistle and go, hey, leave. This takes the Savior to do it. But he's kind and compassionate in how he does it. Mark records, is recording the highlights of this friendly, courteous way Jesus is going to disperse this crowd. Now, now remember the power he displayed to sit people in groups. Remember we talked about that last time. There's massive people trying to get healed by Jesus. They're pressing in on him. And yet when he takes control, he's got them sitting in groups, right? Of 50s and 100s, right? He has complete control over that. He needs authority and he exercises again here. Notice it says he himself. Very, very important little phrase there, this double pronouns, acknowledging that there was nobody else doing this. It was he himself that was going to handle this. Send, send the disciples away. I will handle this. And he bids them farewell. It was, isn't it amazing? you got somebody who's dying or on a pallet and they're sick, and, and all of a sudden Jesus says, it's time for you to go. You know, Star Wars tries to do, it's time for you to leave. You know, <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think it's the power of the Lord, right? And they begin to dismiss. Second thought. 
the unbroken fellowship of the great Savior, uh, excuse me, the great shepherd with his heavenly Father. The unbroken fellowship of the great shepherd with his heavenly Father. Notice as he bids them farewell, the last part of verse 46, he left for the mountain to pray. Now east of the lake where Jesus had fed these 5,000 men and all of their family members, we presume, is a very mountainous area. And though he certainly was escaping the crowd, it was time to move them on and try to get time with his disciples. His chief reason was to be alone with the Father. Jesus wants to be alone with his Father. And his actions show a conscious effort. He's, he's conscious of time that he needs with the Father. And so he works at this to move them away. And you think about Jesus' ministry here, it's going to take a serious turn here. And you see that in the book of Mark. Now he begins to, Mark's recording of, of all these great miracles, his interaction with the crowd. Now as we hit chapter 7, as we follow this up in the coming weeks, you begin to see him start to teach. And he starts to teach things that are difficult. He starts to take on the religious leaders. He begins to speak of following him or, and nothing else. And the crowds begin to thin out more and more. And Jesus is beginning to work his way towards the cross. Things are going to get a lot more difficult. And guess what Jesus wants to do? He wants to go spend time with his father. He wants to go commune with him. He wants to talk to him. He needs strength and counsel for what lays ahead. He recognizes the misguided efforts of the crowd. He's been through Satan's temptation in the, in the wilderness. And now he has had another temptation thwarted upon him, probably by Satan himself, to become the Messiah, become the king before his time. He needs time with Father. And Jesus fought off all those temptations, but he's longing to be with his Father the twelve were no help. They did not see the necessity of this. They are growing in the excitement of who Jesus is and possibly what they may get. And at this point, they saw no need for a cross. Do you realize that? They saw no need for a cross. And many people see Jesus and come to a service and, oh yeah, he's great. I'll get him and put him in my back pocket because if what they say is true, I probably ought to have a piece of him. Most people don't see a need for the cross. Most people don't realize who Jesus is. And most likely, Jesus had voiced his petitions against this false messianic view that was in the crowd and probably in his disciples as well. But what I love about this reference here is this is a glimpse into the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a glimpse into his prayer life. John chapter 6, the same account, verse 38 says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He stays on task. This is what he's doing. This is his ministry philosophy. I'm here to do the Father's will. If you work in our ministries around here and you want to do a ministry, we'll often say, hey, write a philosophy of ministry. Tell us why, biblically, you want to do this. And we'll use that philosophy ministry to help keep the direction of that ministry so it doesn't lose its way and fall apart. Well, Jesus' philosophy of the ministry was to do his Father's will. And any time that it seems as though he feels pressure, he seems to get away with the Father and he begins to speak with him. And brothers and sisters, think about this. If Jesus desired that kind of communication with the Father, what does that say about our lives? Jesus is perfect. His ministry was flawless. He never made a mistake. There was no sin found in him, no deceit in his mouth. And yet he longs to talk to the Father. We often see that Jesus prays early in the mornings. You say, well, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't know when you 
when's the best time for you to pray? But getting alone with the Lord, this was Jesus' habit. I think he's referring back often to Isaiah 50, verse 4. Here's what it says. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Oh, so often in the mornings our minds are a little fresher. It's time to talk to the Lord. It's time to spend time with him. And Jesus sets that example for us when we should pray, at times getting away. And for some of you, it may be, it may be at, at your noon break or wherever it is, but do you have regular time when you get away, from, to get away with the Lord? Here after such a successful day of ministry Jesus had, this was huge. Masses have been fed. Masses have been healed. But regardless of all that took place, he's seeking private time with the Lord. What happens when you have a great success? Well, often we'll say, honey, let's go to dinner. Let's, let's get people together. Let's have a party. Let's do something like that. Isn't it interesting where this massive success of Christ feeding these masses, what's he want to do? He wants to get alone with the Lord. Doesn't he think so opposite of us so often? He seeks the Father. Remember in verse 52, it tells us the disciples are still hard-hearted. They're still, they still can't get their mind around what he's doing. But that does not detour the Lord Jesus Christ from what he does. And, and there's such a good example there, folks. You, you may be around people or, or work in a world that doesn't get prayer, doesn't understand that. And maybe even in your own home don't get that. Jesus is undeterred even by those closest to him. Though they may not understand what he's doing, he wants to be with the Father. There's such an importance of prayer put on here. The secret, someone said this recently, I heard this, the secret to prayer is secret prayer. Did you hear that? The secret to prayer is secret prayer. Talking to the Lord with no one else there. You know why? Because all the performance goes away. There's no one impressed by your prayer. There's, there's no one there to make feel better because you prayed for them or something like that. Any kind of flesh that could work its way in it. The secret to prayer is secret prayer. Because it's just you and God. There's no false pretenses. There's, there's none of that that can easily creep into our little fleshly minds and hearts. The secret to prayer is secret prayer. And outside of the garden, uh, the garden prayer that Jesus prayed before his crucifixion, this is how we always see Jesus pray. And you go, well, what did he pray? Well, as one guy at the conference said, uh, speaking on this subject, he goes, none of your business. Every time he prays outside of the garden prayer, we don't know what he says to the Father. The Bible does not record it. It's not public domain. It's not for you to know. But it's a lesson for us, a lesson for us to obey God, to seek his will, to, to walk in tune with him. That's what the Spirit leads you. If the Spirit is free in your life, hasn't been sequestered by sin, the Spirit pushes you to talk to God. And you and I know it, don't we? We know it. We know God's pushing you to pray. And there's times we'll just set our heels in or we'll just let busyness or whatever it is take us away from that time of prayer. I have failed at that too many times. Pray. Pray. What lessons here? You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know what to pray. I, I may not even know how to pray. Well, Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit of God will intercede with our weaknesses, verse 26. For if we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings for you. There's times that you can just get on your knees and say, Lord, I don't know where to begin. I, I know you died for me. I know you just start rehearsing the gospel. It'll start to come and then he'll flood your mind with things. This is what he does. Remember, the third member of the Trinity lives within you if you're a believer. Get alone with God. Start with repenting of sin. That's always a good place. <laughs> Anybody have any of that to talk to God about? Because if you don't, you can come up and switch places with me. 
We all have things in our life. What we need, you can start right there. Lord, I have not walked with you this week as you intended me to. I did not take captive my thoughts. My, son, my tongue was like a two-edged sword instead of the word of God being that sword. It was a fire that sets ablaze. Lord, will you forgive me? Start there. Pray in that way. Maybe you go, well, I don't, I'm probably no one in here. I, and if you are, come talk to me. You say, I, I, I pray enough. It's a one thing, no matter who you are. Um, probably the greatest ministers of human, uh, of human ministers, they would all tell you, we don't pray enough. But think about it. You and I are sons of God. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since you have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Isn't that a great statement? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. He passed through the heavens. Who else can do that? That means he left his throne above, came down through the heavens, lived on this earth perfectly, died for us, returned back to heaven. And sits at the right hand of the Father. That's our high priest. He's interceding for you. Maybe we start that way. Jesus, will you help me talk to the Father right now? You died for me. You, you, you cleansed me. You hung on a cross for me. And you brought me to the Father. Will you help me speak now? He does that. He goes on to say, for we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that amazing? He's, he's suffered in all ways, all categories, illnesses in, in a sense, afflictions done to him, rejection of people. He's, he's suffered in all those categories. Maybe not your particular sin or, or particular illness or something you've gone through, but he has suffered in every category. And he knows your weaknesses. But he's one who has been tempted in all things and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Oh, our confidence is in him. And it's humble confidence. Make sure you know that. Oh, Lord, I could not stand in front of you and speak this if it was not for your grace and mercy upon me who gave me salvation. And so I speak on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ who stood in my place. But confidence. And the rest of the verse, look at this. Do you not want this? So we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's often silly, isn't it? Maybe the problem also is we can't have a long conversation with God because we don't know him. You ever have a conversation with someone you don't know? Well, we talked about the weather. We talked about our favorite sports teams, but then after that we ran out of stuff to talk about. Know God. Know God. Read his word. I promise you, you begin to read word. Just start with the book of Psalms. Read Psalms. Psalms is a great book to begin to strengthen your prayer life. Know God so you can have a long conversation with Him. The more you know Him, the longer you can talk with Him. And God takes serious our prayers, right? God takes our prayers serious. And I guess the question is, do we take His answers serious? I think, can, can we establish that? God takes our prayers seriously. Do we take his answer serious? Answers when it's no. Or it's not right now. Or it's a simple answer of trust me. Do we take that serious? Joseph Strick Strickvin was a young man who was about ready to get married. The night before his wedding, he had waited so long for his fiancée went for a swim with some of her friends and she drowned. He left that situation and he moved into Canada and he started teaching a teaching career there. And he once again met another lady years later and began uh, an engagement process to her. They were able to wed, but just shortly after their wedding day, she contracted an illness and she too died. He then dedicated his, ministry, his life ministry to the elderly. He did everything from cutting wood to teaching the Bible to them. In 1855, he returned to Ireland, his birthplace, there to minister to his dying mom. 
In the presence of his mom, he wrote a hymn. It is called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. His life never got better humanly. He suffered poor health. He was financially bankrupt. He himself drowned to death. But here are the words that he wrote that so many of us love in 1855. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with the load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find solace there. The last verse, often forgotten. Blessed Savior, thou hast promised, thou wilt all my burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. Soon in glory bright, unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be sweet, our sweet portion there. The Lord wants us to pray. And he set such a beautiful example to us. And Jesus refused to commit himself to those who wanted just stuff from him. But what he was committed to was to a life of prayer. And even this premature kingship and these hard-hearted disciples, he would go and get alone with the Lord. And, and I thought about this this week as I was working on this message in between sessions at the conference. I'd go and write and write on this message, and I thought, Lord, everything is going great. Humanly, uh, the people would go, man, the polls are up. You're leading in every category. Everybody's following you. And what does Jesus do? As one author said, he goes out to the woods. <laughs> Can you imagine his disciples? It's going so good, and you're out in the woods? That's why he sent them away. Because Jesus saw prayer so much better than popularity. Isn't that a battle? If we would pray as much as we're worried about our popularity, what would our lives be like? Oh, what a Savior we had. Undeterred by man's sin, set on the cross. Third thought, the great shepherd always seeks to increase the faith of his lambs. Look at verses 47 through 50 with me. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it to be a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, verse 47 clearly tells us that they're in two different places. And only Mark notes this here. But our Lord is watching over his own. They're in two different places and the Lord's watching. Isn't that good comfort? <laughs> you go, why? I, uh, I don't see him now. Well, Peter says, though we don't see him now, <laughs> we believe in him, right? But he's always watching. Verse 48, he sees them. Look, he sees them straining. He's, he's far away from them, but he can still see them. He knows they're straining at the oars here. And this too is particular only to the book of Mark. And they're definitely, think about this, they are definitely objects of his concern. Isn't that neat? He's concerned about them. These are hard-hearted disciples according to verse 52. He's concerned about them. I really, I, I like that. <laughs> My heart gets hard sometimes. And my Lord doesn't abandon me. But he's always watching, right? We have verses that tell us this. Just jot these down. Commit them to memory later. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are what? In every place. 
That's pretty comforting. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Your hospital room, he's there. He's watching. The psalmist in Psalms 137, 139 says, where can I go? Where, where can I go where you're not looking at me? You're not with me. That's what he does. Job in his great statement of, of the greatness of God, he says this, does he not see my ways and number all my steps? Job 31.4, Jeremiah the great prophet to, to a very stubborn nation in chapter 16 verse 17 says this, for my eyes are on their ways. They are not hidden from my faith, faith nor their iniquity concealed from my eyes. And Hebrews 4.13 says that there is no creature hidden from his sight. He's watching them. And he's watching you. Sea of Galilee was huge. At its widest point, it's probably over eight miles across. The Bible says here it's in the fourth watch. Um, Hebrew, the Hebrews used three watches. By this time, Rome had ruled the world, so they were in the fourth watch. So uh, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, midnight to 3, 3 to 6. So this puts us sometime after 3 a.m. And remember, they left after the feeding. So these boys have been pulling on oars for a long, long time and getting nowhere. And that wind is buffeting into them. Um, they're out there. Things are difficult. And here comes our Lord. He sees their mental and physical pain they're going through, and he's coming to them. The Bible says he came to them walking on the water. The liberals discredit this. You can read these guys. They, they hate anything that's supernatural. And they say, oh, well, he was just walking on the shore, and it looked like he was walking on the water. Well, I don't know about to do about those guys. Our Lord made the water. He controls it. He sets stars and moons and holds all things together by the word of his power, Hebrews chapter 1. Walking on the water is not a problem. In fact, the Bible illustrates this, Psalm 77, 19. Your way was in the sea. Your path is in the great waters. And your footsteps were unknown. Asap wrote that in a time when he was being troubled and needed the Lord. Job, in response to one of his so-called friends, Job 9.8 says, Who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea? Habakkuk in his prayer said this, You trample on the seas with your horse and on the surges of many waters. This is not a problem for the Lord. It's a problem for us. And if any one of you want to go out, we can see how you can do across some of those ponds afterwards. This is supernatural. This is the creator of the universe walking on his creation. And if you can't accept that, you probably could never accept that he could be crucified on the cross and take our sins, which he didn't commit, and forgive them. That's our great God. But the sentence structure is clear here. And actually has the idea of not only him walking on the water, but making progress towards the disciples, closing the gap very quickly. Notice the phrase where it says he intended to pass by them. A lot of people ask about this phrase. It really can be translated come alongside them. And the idea is here, he's going to test their faith. He's going to come up alongside them. And what are they going to do with Jesus? Hey, we're just over here struggling. <laughs> or are they going to ask him to come in? Are they going to ask for help? So Jesus' desire was for them to recognize him, to ask him for help. He seems to be testing their faith. Are you going to trust me? You've seen my miraculous powers. You've watched people and how I could handle them. You yourself have done miracles and cast out demons. But at this time of weakness, are you going to look to me? Or are you going to look to yourself? That's what he's doing. And, Anybody got calluses from pulling so hard? Yeah, Jesus, I got this. We're not going anywhere, <laughs> but I got this. You just keep pulling on the oar. You, you don't get alone with the master, the father. You don't ask him for help. You just keep pulling. Yeah, we're just over here. My hands are bloody. I'm a mess. I'm sweating to death. We're not making any traction. But, you know, Jesus is coming. Are you going to ask him for help? You go to him. Verses 49 and 50, we see that Jesus is approaching them on the water and he looks like they're in difficult circumstances. And are they going to believe in him? 
And what's interesting is their human superstition starts to take over. You go, do you believe in ghosts? Well, apparently these guys did. The word for ghost is phantasma. Is, uh, we get the word for phantom, English word phantom from it. That's what they think. Remember, 52. 52 says they had not gained any insight yet. Their hearts were still hard. So here's their savior. Here's their great shepherd, their master, who they've watched countless healings, feeding, separation of people, all the things going on. There's a ghost. You know, when we get in those trials, that's what comes out of us. When we get squeezed, that's what comes out of us. We run to superstition or, or some other help. We don't go to Jesus first. Isn't that our problem? And I think this is so, so perfect for us. Oh, Lord, where are you? Well, I'm right here. Well, I didn't see you. See, these seasoned fishermen are crying out in terror. One, they're, they're dead tired. They've been rowing possibly up to nine hours, and they're probably only halfway across the lake and making no headwinds. Their screams are so important because Mark uses the exact same term to talk about the screams of demons. This is real terror that they're going through. And they all saw him. It wasn't just some of them. They all saw him. So they're going through physical pain, rowing. Now they're going through spiritual pain because they don't recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. I think so much of us often, brothers and sisters, so I want you to think through this with me. We go through physical pain. Sometimes we get diagnosed with cancer. Sometimes we, we, we fall and get hurt. Sometimes we go through things. We don't understand why we go through them. And we go through a physical pain. But then we compound the problem and we don't run to the Lord. And now, not only do we have physical pain, we have spiritual pain. Because we try to handle things on our own and we find ourselves in a, in a terrible tailspin. And yet he's right there. He's right there. Into verse 50, it says these words, Take courage, it is I. Take courage, it is I. These are familiar words. They're always used of the Lord Jesus Christ in every account but one in the Scriptures. These words rest on that great I am type of word. This is your Lord. This is your master. This is the one who's been watching you. This is the one coming to you. You not coming to me, but me coming to you. It certainly is tones of Old Testament here. This is the, the I am God of Exodus 3.14 in the burning bush. This is Isaiah 42. When I pass through the waters, I will be with you. That's Isaiah 43.2. I mean, he, he's doing Isaiah in their presence. Luke 24.39, when he comes in to see them after the resurrection and they're locked behind doors and he comes through the doors, he says, see, it is me. It is, he uses the word I. It's I. This is how he speaks to them. He gives them two great commands. I love both of these. Quickly, take courage and don't be afraid. I, I promise you, you spend time in the word of God and spend time in secret prayer with the Lord, you will take courage and fear will begin to leave. If you struggle with fear, brothers or sisters, run to the one who can handle fear. You struggle with courage of something that God is putting in your plate, something you must do. Run to the one who gives courage. This is what he does. These are great truths in the storms of life. And Jesus has the power to back them both up. What's interesting, and we don't have time to go into this, but worth noting is only um, Mark, excuse me, Mark does not record the walking of water on the water by Peter. Matthew chapter 14, just mark it, read it later. Peter says, you know, he's finally there. It's not a ghost. He said, it's me. Peter goes, Lord, if it's you, let me walk out there. And, and, and <laughs> a whole other sermon, but can you imagine that first foot? And isn't that where it starts, though? I believe you. And, he, and Peter is such a great study, isn't it? Because we're just like him. We get out, we're really, Lord, so fun to walk with you. And then... The storms of life begin to press in on us. And you know the story. He took his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. And he cries out with another shriek of terror. And the Lord saves him. 
Fourth, a great shepherd in his hard heart at lambs. 51 and 52 help us understand who he's dealing with. He gets into the boat, the wind stops. They were utterly astonished, for they had not gained insight into the incidents of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They got up into the boat, presumably with Peter, and the wind instantly stops. The scenes became calm, just like they did with him before. <laughs> I, I, it's so easy to look back at this. Isn't 20, uh, what is that? 2020 vision always sees back really well, right? However we say that. Maybe, maybe you hope it hit him like, oh, we've seen this before. When we were rowing and he was asleep in the boat and we thought we were going to die and the exact same things happened because the master is now here. The owner of creation is still in complete control and is ready to teach his faithless disciples. Disciples say these words, it's in the quote there in verse 51, they were utterly astonished. The Greek phrase means to be there was a continual inner amazement. Like they kept thinking about what they just saw and what they just experienced and they were, there was a continual amazement to them. And, and it just begs the question, are you still amazed with Jesus? I was amazed as we sang. It just gripped my heart, those songs, and so needed for life and worship and, and so forth. But what will grip me tomorrow? Sunday school sounded really good, but what's Monday school look like? So are we gripped with it? Because these same disciples are not going to understand where he's going until the Spirit of God falls upon them. 52 explains the problem. Their hearts were still hard at times. Our hearts are hard at times. I was repenting to God over things this week and saying, Lord, I spend my life in the Word and I still find areas of hardness in my heart that I hate. Our hearts are hard. And at times, that's us, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. One's claim for eternity, our hearts are still hard. Have you told, have you told the Lord that? Have you ever said, Lord, my heart is hard towards you right now? Would you soften it? And, and, and when they're hard, and I've got to wrap this up, but when they're hard, we don't see his majesty. We, we don't see his glory. We miss so much when our hearts are hard. We need times of refreshing. We need to be like Jesus where we disappear and get with the Lord. There's so many wonderful places to do that around here. The Lord went into the wilderness. We can go to the ocean. We can, we can get away and say, Lord, I just want to spend the day with you. I want to read and talk to you for the day. I, I, want, to, I want to be right with you and say, well, Scott, I don't have a day. Do you have an hour? Is he worthy an hour just to get alone with him and be in awe of him? Just to wrap this up, the last thought is the compassionate great Savior is often misunderstood and misused. And you see these last few verses here. He lands on the shore. John says when he got into the boat, they immediately were at the shore. So somewhere between three and six. So it's probably just before light, possibly. And they get to shore. Verse 54 tells us immediately somebody recognizes him. And here we go again. The disciples just had some incredible times with the Savior, just 12, 12 men and the God-man. And now all of a sudden they've hit shore, hit words out, people are coming, and the Bible says they're just coming from everywhere. But I like to think, I like to think that the disciples were sitting there going, you don't know who's among you. You just want healing, you want to be fed again, you don't know who's among you. I think sometimes we forget that. And we need to be reminded. Let me close with just some questions. What do you want from Jesus today? You want your next meal? You want your next paycheck? What do you want from Him? Why are you here today? You come because that's a tradition. I, I, I think it's a good tradition to come to church. But do you want Jesus? 
Is your heart hard? I've asked all these questions throughout this. Is your heart hard? Are you willing to take time and spend time with Christ, spend time in the Word, get alone with the Father, and ask Him to cause you to be amazed at His grace again? And will you with me repent? Repent. Lord, my heart is hard. I'm far more excited about things of this world than the things of you. Will you forgive me? Will you make the things of of your person and the word and who you are, your character, will you make those glorious to me once again? Sacrifice time. Sacrifice time to be in the word, to be with alone with the Father. I promise your heart will be good. Take everything to him in prayer. Father, thank you for the reminder of this lesson. This is incredible, Lord. There's such great truths within this text to remind us that you are watching over us is a reminder, a strong reminder of the importance of prayer. Lord, there's a strong reminder of those who have seen the most beautiful things of the Savior can still have a hard heart. And Lord, I think probably many of us in this room who have seen the beauty and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Word of God can at times have hard hearts. We can let fear grip us. And we can fail to trust you in all our ways. Acknowledge you, Lord. We can fail that. And in the end, we find ourselves struggling. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would cause us to be men and women, boys and girls, who commit to spending time with the Father. Spending time talking with Him. Pleading for His direction. Repenting of sin just speaking of His glory and beauty in person, Lord. Give us more time with You, Lord. Help us to sacrifice those other things that often draw us away, Lord. And so we will be strengthened. And we will find courage. And we will have good cheer in You, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.